Remember Call on the TV show Buffy the Vampire Slayer? One of the characters had a band called Dingo's Ate My Baby. You might have heard Bart Simpson say a similar line in an episode where they go to Australia. References to it have turned up in The Office, a musical called Save that I've never personally heard of. And according to Wikipedia, there's a board game out there called Kobolds Ate My Baby. But did you know that's not actually what Lindy Chamberlain said that day? The real line is a dingo's got my baby. Hello, welcome to Fuck Me Dead, yearly special. <laughs> One year of Fuck Me Dead. Are you excited? I, I, I would be if it wasn't 8am in the morning. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 8am. Uh, yeah, we, we maybe took a little too long to perfect our notes. And now we're recording at 8am in the morning before I start work. So apologies if I sound like I just woke up because, well, I did. <laughs> But yeah, I am I am excited for this one because, oh boy, is it a doozy. Yeah, I would say this is really more of your episode than anything else. Uh, why? Because I did most of the research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you went way, way deeper than I realized you were intending to go. Yeah, guys, this, this is going to be probably longer. Uh, no, it's definitely going to be longer than an average episode because we really are going to deep dive into this and i mean most of the reason that we're going to go so far in is because once i started researching there's just so much information i knew basically that lindy is innocent i, I knew that yeah we will start off with that straight away that lindy chamberlain is 100 percent innocent and everything that's ever happened to her because of this is absolutely fucked yeah yeah absolutely like you know every time that i would sit down to work on this i just got a combination of really mad and sad for her because like she was treated like shit and she didn't deserve it she was innocent the entire time so i mean we are we're gonna go over the day that it happened the the inquests the trial more inquests after that. <laughs> like it's uh it's a lot but i think this is a story worth telling because people still don't know that she's innocent like, if you went up and asked, like, an average Australian, I can guarantee the opinion would be split. I think especially overseas people, they only really know the dingy about my baby line, and that's not even correct. True. True. She didn't say that. But, I mean, I guess, you know, if you say dingo ate my baby, it's far more sensationalized than a dingo got my baby, you know? I just want to say before we start that we are officially now a worldwide podcast. <laughs> I know you're very it's excited a about whole this. Year, but we finally had one listen in South America. The only continent no one had listened to us in yet. Will they come back? I do not know. Does that matter to me? No. It's worldwide. I mean, we'd like them to come back. I, I do hope but... they come back. But like if, you know, whatever. <laughs> I updated my Twitter bio. It now says co-host of Worldwide Podcast. <laughs> It's a fair statement now. Uh, <laughs> we'll wait. We're waiting for that that one listen, and I wasn't even looking for it the other night. And I'm like, oh, hang on, wait. <laughs> There's one listen. <laughs> I knew you'd be very excited. <laughs> Hell yeah! I chose this story because I feel like it really is an internationally known Australian story. Like I think you'd be hard pressed to find people who didn't know this story. Maybe kids wouldn't know, but like if you're an adult. I've probably heard of this. Um, and I feel like it's one of those things that people don't know the real story. Yeah, it's very a case of people would find out you're from Australia and be like, oh, dingo ate your baby, throw another shrimp on the barbie, those kinds of things, Steve Irwin. Uh, in much the same way that like people find out I'm a uh, Kiwi yeah. and they're like, oh, All Blacks, Lord of the Rings. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that gets me the most is that so many people think that she's guilty um, when she wasn't. It just, it really frustrates me still, even... 
now thinking about it, that there are still people out there who would 1000% with passion say that she killed her baby. And uh, yeah, I want to say like up top, she's innocent. So I think that you should keep that in mind as we as we talk about this. And once you have that knowledge and you keep it in mind when you hear all of this stuff, you realize just how fucked it was. Like, I really feel for Lindy. She should not have had to have gone through this, especially after she just lost a child. Yeah. When all this like information became new to me, I remember. I think it was when the point where the evidence was being read out, we'll get into it shortly, but it's like, this happened and they found all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's so obvious what happened, but she still went to prison, but let's not. Let's not ruin everything straight up. Let's get into it. Okay, so I had originally titled this episode as Zaria Chamberlain because she's the victim here. But the more I researched, the more I realized it kind of ended up not even being about the baby and really more about more like political things. And I feel like most of the story is about Lindy's experience. So I, I changed it because I really do feel like it's more about Lindy than anything else. Um, would, would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, so Lindy Chamberlain is actually a Kiwi. Australians just can't have anything of their own. (laughs) Um, But she moved to Victoria, Australia when she was just a small child. In 1969, she married a Seventh-day Adventist pastor named Michael Chamberlain, who was also a fellow Kiwi. They met in Australia. Yeah, famous Australian baby, Azaria Chamberlain, was actually a New Zealander. Well, no, she wasn't because she was born in Australia. (laughs) Kiwi parents. Yeah, Kiwi parents. Far lap all over again, just not with a horse. (laughs) They had moved to multiple different places, including Tasmania. But in 1980, when this incident originally happened, they were actually living in Mount Isa in Queensland, which is up the top of the country if you don't live here. I honestly wouldn't want to live there. It would be humid as fuck. Heading for a top of 38 degrees today, Mount Isa. Are you kidding me? Ew. (laughs) (sighs) hate that. (laughs) But yeah, don't worry. I'm not going to spend too much time on their history before Azaria went missing because we have so much to get through. On June 11, 1980... Azaria Chamberlain was born. By this point, Lindy and Michael already had two children, Aiden, who was seven, and Regan, who was four. So because they already had two boys, they were very excited that they were having a girl. Lindy had always wanted a daughter. Now now, we, now we're getting to when it actually happens. So in August 1980, when Azaria was nine weeks old, uh, Lindy and Michael took their family on a camping holiday in the Northern Territory. Just a side note here, I could not imagine anything worse than traveling with a nine-week-old baby. Yeah, it was a very odd choice in my opinion, but... But, I mean, you know, if they wanted to go, then... If, if they wanted to put themselves through that, then that's up to them. Not only a nine-week-old baby, but, like, two other small kids as well. Yeah. This is pre-Game Boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On Saturday, August 16th, 1980, the Chamberlains, as well as six other families, had set up camp at Uluru and had their tents in the top camping area of the east side of the rock personal opinion again but i also couldn't imagine anything worse than actually camping in tents in the outback it'd be cold august it's a desert though at nighttime it gets cold but you're also like it's it's dirty it's yeah the weather's weird you got wildlife and i mean i'm not just talking about dingoes here i'm talking about (laughs) fucking snakes spiders scorpions get fucked no thank you the one time i've been camping in australia I got hit. A wombat walked into my tent. <laughs> Not like physically into the tent, but like we put it near a burrow. And uh, during the night, I was up against the wall of the tent and I felt something walk into me and then walk down my body. I was like, <laughs> I think that's the wombat. Oh, that's so cute. God, I hope it was the fucking wombat. <laughs> oh God, imagine if it wasn't. <laughs> I've actually never been to Uluru. I- I've never been no. to the Outback, but I mean, I would like to one day. It's on my to-do list. I really, really want to go 
out that way. See some other places like uh, the underground town of Cooper Pedy. Mm. Just because like it's so different to what we experience in Australia. Like yeah, it's-, it's the part of Australia that's advertised to the world. Yeah. And like all our media and all the movies always like and all the kid shows that were set in the outback. Already yeah, like no six people live out there. Truly wants to live there. Yeah, no one wants to live there at all. Like it's not a good time. I'm I, sure some people I, do I'm sure it'd be it. cool for a visit, but for me, not a good time. Okay, so they they spent the next day exploring around Uluru. I will say in all of the news reports from this time it was not called Uluru. Um this is definitely a time before political correctness, so say that and that morning was when michael took that famous photo and if you know anything about this you would definitely have seen it where lindy is sort of holding azaria up as if she's standing on on the rock which you're also not allowed to do anymore but we'll forgive them because it was 1980 but it is such an iconic photo um we'll obviously definitely link it but it's just it's such an iconic photo but it was that morning that he took it Uh, so that evening at approximately 8 p.m lindy and michael were about 20 meters away from their tent so not that far, um, in the common barbecue area preparing dinner. Aiden and Azaria were with them while Regan was already asleep in the tent. Lindy then took Aiden and Azaria back to the tent, put Azaria in a bassinet in the rear of the tent and went to get a tin of baked beans from their car for Aiden's dinner. She then returned to the barbecue area with Aiden, so she left Azaria in the tent. The bassinet for those trying to picture it is, because I know you weren't picturing the right thing, yeah, I was it's definitely a, pitching something different. It is a bassinet, but it's more like a traditional, like, old-style one. It's a wicker basket, effectively, that sits on the ground. Yeah, so in my mind, I got a bit confused here because I was like, a bassinet. I thought, like, about one that's, like, on a stand, like, off the ground, like, not wicker. I wasn't imagining that, like, at all in my mind. But I seen a picture of it. Again, we'll link it. But it really is just a wicker basket that goes on the ground. Honestly, it looks like the picnic baskets that Yogi Bear nicks in the TV show, yeah. minus the It's lid. just a different shape. Yeah. Like, it's uh, very much like that. So she returns to the barbecue area with Aiden, um, I would presume, to cook his dinner. Yeah, because he was and still hungry. Not long after, Mrs. Lowe from one of the other families that were also camping at the same site heard a baby cry. Now... Because Lindy was a good mother, she immediately went to check to see if Azaria was okay. Because she immediately thought that must be her. The next thing that was heard was that famous quote where she she cried out, my God, my God, a dingo's got my baby. Because she had seen a dingo coming out of the tent. Yes. It's interesting here that um, one thing that would people would always hold against her would be she changed her story a few times when asked if the dingo was like definitely carrying something or not. Apparently, sometimes she would say, yes, it had something in its mouth. Other times she said she couldn't recall. But, you know, she saw a dingo coming out of the tent. We're about to get into the rest of the evidence. And, you know, like it, it's not always easy to recall things, especially if you're under stress like she probably would have been. I mean, I yeah, I can't imagine what was going through her brain in that very moment if she had heard her baby cry and then seen a dingo exiting she might have seen it from an angle where she couldn't see its mouth or she just assumed that the dingo had the baby at that point like i can definitely imagine why you might get confused later trying to recall it from what i found when i was doing my research initially she thought she was of the mind that oh no my child's been attacked they're in the tent still and it wasn't Mm. until she started moving towards the tent that she suddenly had a horrible realization that maybe the dingo had taken the baby either way she wanted to check the tent first so another of the key witnesses in this one is mr and mrs west who were another family that were camping there they said that they heard a dog growl just before they heard lindy cry out so I'd say that's a pretty pretty good gauge for that there actually was a dingo there. So obviously they've realized at this point that the baby is not in the tent and that the dingo 
has taken it. Uh, so they called the Rangers because, I mean, I don't know how close the police station would have been to where they were, but I imagine not close. Um, but there are definitely Rangers. I'm assuming it's a national park where Uluru is. It is, yeah. So it- about half an hour later... Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, so half an hour later, the ranger arrives, as you mentioned. We will let you know they weren't just standing around waiting for half an hour. Michael Chamberlain was out searching for his daughter along with some of the other campers. But it's also the middle of the yeah. night in the desert. There is no lights. Yeah. Like, it would have been pitch black. I, yeah, I can't imagine. I, I don't know how they got this search together, to be honest with you. Um, because, yeah, about half an hour later, the ranger in charge, Derek Roff, arrived at the scene. And he had somehow organized 250 to 300 people to search the area. At night, in the desert. <laughs> don't know how. I, I don't know how he pulled it together, but good on him. Imagine um, if he was probably so, like down at the local pub, got the call. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "Come on, boys, let's go find the baby." He just bring all the pub patrons out. That would be funny if that, if that, that were the case. I have no idea, but I mean, what else would you be doing in in that area at that time of night? Honestly. <laughs> But yeah, so he got all those people together to search the area for Azaria and they continued searching until about 3 a.m. But they found not a single sign of her, not not any clothing, uh, her, her body, like nothing. They found nothing. So Mr. Habby, who is also another camper at the site, he did find tracks in the sand dunes near the camp along what looked like a mark where something had been put down. So I don't know how to explain it, but... I guess like the, an indent in the sand yes. that made it look like something had been rested there. So ding- dingoes are fairly tall, but they're not that much bigger than a standard dog. Like it is worth um, mentioning that most dingoes are not a full bred dingo at this point. They are a mix of domestic and wild dog. I also did read somewhere. I don't know how true this is. So take this with a grain of salt, but I did read somewhere that apparently they were once they were first domesticated, then turned feral. Well, dingo, I don't know how true that is. They're not native to Australia. Technically, they were brought over with the first people who came here. Yeah, I but believe. somehow we still have them, but nowhere else does. It's very strange. Well, it's just a domesticated dog that became feral. So yeah. Oh, sorry, but what I, what I was going to say is, like, the dogs probably put the baby down at some point to get its yeah. grip. Which would and, and, that, and that is the theory, that it did put it down to get a better hold of it. So Derek Roth, the ranger, he also witnessed these marks. And he said it looked like a knitted garment had been laid on the ground. So probably um, she was wearing a little jacket. So I imagine it was probably from that. Okay, so I'm now about to say a name of an Indigenous man, and I know I'm going to get it really fucking wrong, so I'm so sorry. Uh, but they called in Nui Minyintiri. Does that does that sound right? Uh, looking at it, Nui, I would definitely say seems right to me. And then, yeah, Minyintiri. So he, he was a local Indigenous tracker um, who also found drag marks near the same area. So he gave his expert opinion, and this is a quote, but please keep in mind that English would not have been his first language. So he said, it walked as though it had some load on it. When I was tracking the dingo, I knew or thought it was carrying the baby for sure. That's a direct quote. So the, the, other, the other part of that is that the Indigenous people that live in that area... They know the dingoes. Like, they know them individually. I know that sounds weird um, to, you know, us, but they have a, a very different relationship with the land and what lives on it. So he he knew that dingo, is what he was saying, that he had seen those tracks before. Another camper, Mrs. Barbara Winmarty, I'm going to say, she also assisted the following day and found dingo tracks leading south from the tent. So what I am saying here is that multiple people seen tracks, dingo tracks, from the tent. So I feel like at this point there should be little doubt that there was a dingo on site. Are we going to talk about 
what Derek Roth had been trying to do beforehand, or is that coming up later? <laughs> that is coming up. It's okay. like two paragraphs away. <laughs> There's no doubt that there were dingoes on this site. We will get into that. Yeah, exactly. Dingoes can rotate their heads about 180 degrees like an owl. Oh, that's terrifying. Mm. So when they inspected the tent, there was a large amount of blood, especially for a baby that was nine weeks old. And they found blood on several items and the tent itself. There's also various spots along the dingo track that had dark patches near them, which they assumed was blood. It was never tested, so I don't know, but they assumed it was blood. A few days later, on August 24th, Wally Goodwin, who was another tourist in the area, found Azaria's jumpsuit, booties, nappy and singlet that she'd been wearing when she went missing. The clothing was located about 4Ks from the camping site, which is... Not, I mean, it's not far, but it's not close. <laughs> you know, it's not right next to it or anything. Mm. The only thing that wasn't found was the matinee jacket that she was wearing. Now, if you're like me and had no fucking idea what that is, I Googled it because I'm like, what the fuck is a matinee jacket? So it's just like a really short coat or like a cardigan for a baby. Adults don't wear matinee jackets. When the clothes were found, Lindy insisted that Azaria was wearing this jacket. Like she knew for a fact that Azaria was wearing the jacket. This would later be one of the things that they would say that she was lying about, but she was insistent. She knew that she was wearing it. Probably because Lindy was a seamstress and she probably made the clothing. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's likely. Mm. So Wally had heard of Azaria's disappearance. Obviously, it was big news at the time. So he contacted the police straight away because he already assumed that it was from Azaria. I don't think it's every day that you find baby clothes in the middle of the outback on the ground. Uh, There was no trace of Azaria's body at all apart from the top section of the jumpsuit and the singlet being heavily stained with blood. Mr. Goodwin was a, a like hobbyist photographer, and he said that he really regretted not taking photos straight away because the police didn't do that. In fact, the constable, when he got there, the first thing he did was just pick it up. Because he did this, this also started a rumor that the clothes were planted there by a human because they were placed in a way that was kind of neat. And the reason for that is because the constable had already picked them up and put them back down by the time they took photos of them. Like it's a, I know it's 1980, but I'm positive they still had evidence bags at that point. I don't think you were meant to touch them. Yeah. It's important to keep in mind, this is literally just over 40 years ago. Mm. And it's also the middle of the outback. So Realistically, it was probably more like 50 years ago by uh, the police standards. <laughs> We've got a photo, though, don't we, of um, the guy just carrying the matinee jacket, don't we? Yeah. No, Not it's the, jacket, the jumpsuit, jumpsuit that, he has, that he has in his hand. So the way they treated the evidence was not good, basically, is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, and it is a shame that he didn't take photos, but I can also understand why he wouldn't, because he's only got 24 as a film camera. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true, but I don't think he was viewing it from that viewpoint. I think it was more, <laughs> let the police handle it. Yeah. I don't want to disturb anything. <laughs> and then as soon as the police get there, they disturb it. Just, uh, oh, so, fuck's sake. Uh, but yeah, he did say that he really regretted that later on, knowing that they just moved it immediately anyway. So it's, it's, it's definitely worth noting before we keep going that dingo attacks had started to become more frequent in that area. Derek Roth, who we talked about before, who was the chief ranger, he had previously informed the Northern Territory government, I'm going to say NT government from now on because that's a mouthful. He had told them just two weeks before Azaria was taken that dingoes were a danger to humans. There were concerns that dingoes had been cut off from food sources due to the drought and were getting really desperate. He had even gone as far to say, and this is a quote, that babies will be their next prey. Um, And if that's not foreshadowing, I really don't know what is. That I hadn't heard of before. 
that line from uh, so that was in the documentary which i'll talk about later yeah. um that that was a direct quote so <laughs> i don't i don't really understand how at any point there was any doubt that a dingo was involved but i might interject with something you're about to mention in a bit but uh derek had also had other reports earlier of dingoes actually attacking children it's exactly what i'm about to talk about yeah this wasn't exactly the first incident at uluru no. of a dingo attempting I think what happened was, is these previous attacks, they didn't result in any serious injury. So I don't know if they were really reported on. I'm sure that Derek knew about them, mm. but I don't know if they were, you know, more widely reported on. I think it was probably just like kept very local and no one, no one else really knew. So two months prior to Azaria's disappearance, the Cranwell family was attacked by a dingo at the same camping site. So there are different camping sites around Uluru, but they were at the exact same one. So the dingo was so brazen that it attempted to drag their daughter out of their car. And I guess for them, it was just lucky that they were nearby and were able to shoo it away. Yeah. So the, even when the father was you know, shouting at the dingo, it wouldn't let go of the baby until he managed to catch up to it. Sorry, the baby, the three-year-old. Mm. So, you know, the dogs were not afraid of people no, at not all. Not at all. I mean, they're not dogs, but, you know, they are. They are, but they aren't. They are and they aren't. Like, they're canines, but they're not exactly domesticated dogs. They're more like wolves, but also they're not so quite right either. Yeah, they they're don't really fit into creature. a set category. It's a, it's a weird one. So, also, just the night before, Catherine West, we talked about her parents um, just before, was attacked by a dingo when she was sitting at the front of her family's tent, which she got bite wounds on her arm from. Again, not a serious injury but she was injured. As she was older, she was about nine at the time, she was able to call out to her family and they were able to come and shoot the animal away again. So while they're not afraid of humans, they're also not dumb. If there's, you know, multiple people against them, they're going to run the fuck away. They're quite smart animals. And honestly, from some of the stuff I've read about them, think of them more like the raptors from Jurassic Park. Uh, th- this will be relevant later, but dingoes have rotating wrists like humans. And, I did not know that. Yeah, no, they do. So their wrist is a lot like ours, which means they can use their hands or their paw rather in a very similar way, uh, including opening doors like mm. that famous scene in Jurassic Park. Hence why I said, think of the dingoes like the raptors from Jurassic Park. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew that they could uh, they could do kind of weird and strange things with their paws that other like animals like them can't, but I didn't know it was because of the wrist joint. Yeah, they've got very flexible wrists. And as I mentioned to you earlier in a segment I'm going to cut, yeah, they can rotate their heads like owls. Not as far. That's terrifying. Mm. <laughs> if you go to Canberra Zoo and you're lucky and they're walking the dingoes, you get to pat them. Oh, are they like friendly enough that you can pat them? The ones in captivity are, yeah. Do not approach wild okay. dingoes. No, do not do that. That's dumb. Um, okay, so by this point, the media frenzy had begun. And like, I wasn't alive at this point, but I was alive and old enough to realize what was going on later in the story. And even I remember at that point, people being very divided over whether Lindy did it or not. So yeah, that, that and that's when this started. So, you know, was she murdered? Was she taken by a dingo? There were so many wild theories that came out about what actually happened, um, but I'll only mention a few. It's just, where do even these things start? Like, I have no idea. Um, someone says there's a joke or someone just wants to be part of the part of the conversation says, well, I heard this. Um, mm, okay, so one of the ones that really gets me is um, 
that the family had named her Azaria because it meant sacrifice in the wilderness. That's a flat out lie. It's not true. The, the, the worst thing about that, I think, is that the person who said that was a doctor. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a doctor who said it's um, it means sacrifice in the wilderness in Hebrew or something, I believe you were saying, <laughs> which it actually means is- blessed by God. Yes, uh, and that's exactly I right. Believe the police officer in charge of the case actually went to try and find the book that that doctor had said he used to translate it, and he couldn't find it because the library had lost its copy. So it's a flat out lie, is what we're saying. Yeah. But that was one that got kicked around a lot because, I mean, I'll talk about it a bit later, but people were a bit confused by their religion. So they thought that they had meant to sacrifice her. It, why you would think that, though? I mean, that is so far-fetched. I, yeah, anyway. The other one was that the eldest Boyd had killed her by accident and the parents covered it up. I feel like that's very John Bonet Ra- Ramsey. <laughs> I don't know. The eldest boy wasn't even in the tent at the time. Well, I think the implication there is that the baby was dead already. When she I went guess. to the tent. Um, so. I mean, if if you're already questioning her over whether there was a dingo or not, you're probably not believing her other um, like, actions there that were evening either. Eyewitnesses to the baby being alive just earlier that day. Mm. When did this murder that when when did when did the kid actually have a chance to kill the baby without anyone seeing it? But she I mean, does not just thing, dinner. Yeah, and th- this is the thing, you know, they were never alone. There were many other campers at this site. It wasn't like they were in a tent in the middle of nowhere on their own. Not technically true. They had gone wandering around exploring Uluru earlier that day. I guess. By and they had taken the baby taken with the them baby. when they did that. And it is interesting to note that Azaria was a very quiet baby, by all accounts. Mm. Um, she wasn't, you know, I definitely, you know, I think babies, you think like screaming in a movie Freaking, theater or on yeah. a plane, which. Look, if you've ever been on plane and unable to unblock your ears, it's really uncomfortable. Like, it fucking hurts. I understand why the babies cry. But I guess the implication there would be people think, while they were out that day, something's gone wrong. They've brought mm, the child back. I guess, and yeah. It's like, well, conveniently, the baby's quiet all the time anyway, so no one noticed it was dead. Maybe, maybe. The- <laughs> Another one was that the parents had paid someone to fake Azaria's death. Why? That one gets me, because I'm like, why? <laughs> Doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, to fake her death? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. She's still alive? Where? Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't I, make any sense. I remember once I saw on TV on like fucking 60 Minutes or some bullshit, and there was a guy saying that Azaria Chamberlain was buried under a house in Melbourne. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get the feeling that people like that will say just about anything to get airtime. Mm. So another one was that Azaria was sold into white slavery in Southeast Asia. <laughs> But why would it, why would the handoff be in fucking Uluru? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not even near an airport. Ah, uh, Ayers Rock Airport is not sort that of. far away, but that's not an international I guess, airport. But so. And I will say Ayers Rock Airport because that is still what it's called to this day, which is that's fucked. The white Didn't name that. for Uluru. Okay, mm. but I mean, yeah, that that one's really far fetched. But I mean, like the last one is just as far fetched, and that was that they had sacrificed her in a satanic ritual. Well, um, Azari so Chamberlain they were seven- means sacrifice in the wilderness. So, of course, they <laughs> sacrificed her to Satan. Um, yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's definitely not, not what it is. Um, but there was a lot of ignorance ra- around their religion because Seventh-day Adventists, they were Seventh... Why is that hard to say? Seventh-day Adventists, much like... Yes, that's what they were. Much like Scott Morrison. <laughs> Scott Morrison killed Azari Chamberlain. That is the revelation. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not it. <laughs> no, that would require competence. But, I mean, you know, it's quite popular here now, but at the time it was not really. There weren't that many of them here. Um, and so because people didn't know what it was, 
they feared it. Is basically Wasn't what it this was. Like during just the build up to the whole satanic panic in America as well. Which yeah, probably it's around, it's around that time too. What people are thinking in Australia because that's just how it goes here. But you know, the whole thing is that Seventh Day Adventists are definitely God fearing people and not Satanists. So mm. I think that was even worse because Michael was a pastor, so he was like very, very involved in the religion. Yeah. So they assumed that that must mean that he had to carry out sacrifices. I don't understand. Like, that's ridiculous. So the Chamberlains were questioned and their vehicle was searched at the time, but they didn't find any evidence to say that the Chamberlains were in any way involved. And when the first inquest started in December 1980, there was no reason that it wouldn't find that a dingo had taken Azaria. Yeah. Uh, there's enough... There was no evidence to the contrary. Yeah, there's enough witness accounts that dingoes were there. We've got the attacks leading up prior, in the months and weeks prior. We've got the fact mm-hmm. that we know the dingoes were not afraid of humans. We've got the drag marks. We haven't mentioned it, but fur fibers were found, I believe, either in the tent or in her jacket. We've got the opinion of a local tracker, which I think should be more than enough evidence, but this is also 1980, so they were probably like, what does he really know, despite the fact that they had to get him in because they couldn't fucking do it themselves anyway? Um, yeah. Like, everything just points to, like, it's so clear to me and so obvious that a dingo did take this baby. And when I first, like, was reading, well, when I first, because I heard about a lot of this on a podcast, and I was like, oh, yeah, fucking dingo got it. You know, it's like when we did... The fucking Harold Holt episode. It, it's so obvious that he just fucking can't swim and he drowned. <laughs> it's stu- it's just so stupid to me that it goes beyond that. Yeah, I mean, like, you hear all of this stuff and you go, this is very obvious. The end, basically. Yeah. But that's not how this goes. This goes for so much and longer. it's all because um, of one fucking line by the judge. Yeah, so we're going to get to that. So the first inquest concluded in February of 1981 and the coroner found that Azaria had died as a result of being taken by a dingo and that the Chamberlain family was not responsible for her death. However, the coroner did tack on at the end, though, that he believed that there was interference by a person or persons unknown to the body after. So he was basically suggesting that the dingo got the baby, killed it, but then someone else buried her later. Yeah. I think one of the reasons he thought that was there was like a puncture mark or a rip in the clothing that they all decided was too clean to have been done by a canine tooth and thought it was like done with scissors. Um, But really it is that line by the judge in that first inquest, only six months after Azaria's died, that is why this case goes on for the next, what, 20 years? It concludes in 2012. So like, I'm going to warn you, this goes on for a long time. (laughs) Due to the suggestion that a person might have been involved, the case was reopened before the end of that year. And uh, for something that seems so open and shut, I just, I think it's ridiculous. How can you, how can you take all of that evidence and then say, oh, no, 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 let's reopen this. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Because the economy. I'm going to say allegedly, but honestly, (laughs) it really does seem like that's, that's the reason. That's the main driving force behind reopening this. Turns out the um, Northern Territory government didn't like the idea that people would stop coming to the Northern Territory because they were afraid dingoes would eat their children. Yep. And, I mean, th- this was a major news story. Like, it was everywhere. You wouldn't you wouldn't have found a person in Australia at the time that hadn't heard of it. So, it definitely... I can see how it would have hurt tourism in the Northern Territory, for sure. Not even just sure. in Australia. Like, people overseas would have heard about it. You know, that line would have yeah. made news elsewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. Probably wasn't as much of a media storm. So the second inquest would begin before the end of 1981, 
So it doesn't take them very long to get that going at all. Or rather, sorry, we know it fucking went worldwide. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many pop culture references to a dingo ate my baby. Yeah. I just I just don't know if it went worldwide at that point or if it went worldwide later when the real drama started. I would say it probably um, happened on the initial report because that is a sensational headline. That is true. That Granted, is true. the news probably took a few extra days. I don't know how quickly news traveled in 1980. Yeah, me either. You know. Wasn't alive. Wasn't on the fucking Instagram being like, Hashtag dingo <laughs> ate my baby. That was definitely not a thing. The NT government, as I said I was going to call them, um, was a huge driving force behind the second inquest. The NT Supreme Court had quashed the findings from the first one and requested another inquest. And it is thought that the reason behind that was because the NT government were extremely worried about how much the bad publicity the case had brought to the area would affect tourism. Mm. They really, really did not want to admit that it was a dingo. I don't know if you've listed in your evidence, but I know one thing that gets mentioned is that there's no record of a dingo having ever taken a baby previously in Australia's no. written history. We'll say that. I'm sure who knows what happened before this colonizers got here. But that's like just fucking stupid. You can't be like, well, it's never happened before, so it can't have happened just now. Yeah. Especially when you have reports of them ta- attacking people in the area. Mm. The ranger saying, you guys have got to do something about this. They're getting dangerous. Yeah, shoot them. So, so I don't know how. That's why I'm like, the, the whole thing, I'm just like, I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how it got this far. So, yeah, it almost seemed that despite there being no evidence on Lindy or Michael, they wanted to blame Azaria's disappearance to be on anything but a local dingo. One of them like, foreign that, dingoes. That was the big driving force. One of, one of them overseas <laughs> dingoes came in and did it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, you know, you could argue if a dingo had come in from a different area and did it, you could say, well, it wasn't one of ours. Yeah, but it's right in the middle of the bloody state. So you can't be like, oh, no, it was a Western Australian dingo that came. And people who are this <laughs> yeah. are going to be like, oh, I'm not going out there with these dingoes. It, it definitely puts, even now, in 2020, reading that puts me off camping in a tent in the Northern Territory. So I, I get their concern, but also you can't just like accuse people based off nothing apart from you don't want it to affect tourism. Sure you can. I mean, they did. So uh. <laughs> like you say that, but like, is this really that different to people being like, well, tough shit, old people, you have to die anyway because the economy. I mean, I think yeah, this basically. year has proven to us that yes, people will do this. It's so fucking sad though. Well, what's a few dead babies if the fucking economy's a ripper? Northern Territory Government. (laughs) Put that on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So on the 14th of December, 1981, the second inquest began. And the main objective of the second inquest was to determine whether or not there was enough evidence to put any person on trial for the death of Azaria Chamberlain. Just anyone, just pick someone. And they... They, they come up with some bullshit evidence, um, but it, it, it worked. So there are five categories of evidence presented, and I'm going to try and run through each of these um, really briefly. There were more, but I've sort of narrowed them down into the most important ones. So, yeah, there, there was more than this, but I've left it out due to time because I have a feeling this is going to go for like two hours anyway. <laughs> this, is, this is the evidence that they thought was viable. Evidence number one. Deceased clothing. Oh, God. Soltope found on the clothing was not consistent to the area where the clothing was found. Uh, you've written here, wouldn't this make sense that the dingo would have dragged the baby from the camping site directly under Uluru? They didn't find the clothing in the same place. Yeah, it was four kilometers away, and part of me thinks, well, wouldn't the soil still be the same? But oh, look, I'm not a dirt expert. I'm sure it does vary Me either, quite. but I'm just it's like- four kilometers, that's enough for something to change. Yeah, I mean, I, I at least think that it's a possibility that it would change. No evidence of the clothing being dragged 
or catching on an animal's teeth or presence of any animal saliva. The clothing had been out for two weeks. It had rained heavily. It, it wasn't two weeks. It would only. It was only you know like a few days. She disappeared on the. So she disappeared on the 16th and the clothes were found on the 24th. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that quick. It's still a week. It was, it was quite soon. Um, but it's still been out in the weather. Yeah. Um, and there was there was a witness that did say there was heavy rain, but somehow they just dismissed that later. And there is a rip in the singlet. Like, we'll, are we going to post a picture of it? Yeah, I'll definitely post a picture of the clothing because it's not in good nick. Like, they, they try to sort of claim that the clothing is in really good condition apart from the blood. <laughs> but when you look at it, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> it's not in that good a condition. They suggested that a, there was a human handprint on the back of her clothing. I've seen the photos. I cannot see a handprint, but... Maybe we've only seen the front. Um, I did find photos of it, but I couldn't re-find it when I was looking for it later. Because <laughs> I did... I'll find it before we post um, images, but there is a picture of the back, and it honestly just looks like blood smears to me. I cannot see any, like, definite outline of a hand. Probably the fucking I, I just, I police when it picked it up, says. Yeah, but like when when they picked it up, it would have been dry anyway. But I definitely could not see any obvious handprint. Even though there were indentations consistent with an animal, due to the lack of tissue or bloodstains in those indentations, they suggested that a person had had to have been involved. They also suggested the jumpsuit was bloody at the collar due to a person cutting Azaria's throat. I think it's worth mentioning here that they're saying that someone cut her throat purely based on the fact that there's blood on the collar. Mm. That that's the only evidence they have to suggest that they're, they're just making um, assumptions, mm. which I wouldn't have thought would be considered evidence, but apparently it was. They claimed that scissors were found in the family vehicle that has human fetal blood present on it on the cutting edge and hinge. Now I googled fetal blood, and from what I could tell, it's only present during the fetal stages of development. So I don't know how that would have gone. Yeah, there, they they use this they use this fetal blood thing a lot. Um, she wasn't and a fetus. From what I understood, <laughs> she, she wasn't a fetus. But apparently, like, your blood does change as you grow into a, a child, like, from an infant to a child. Mm. So they're basically trying to say that by using this fetal blood thing that it had to have been from a baby. Yeah. Maybe they'd killed another baby previously, you know? They, that's... that's <laughs> CJ. That <laughs> they didn't. Happened. They're just trying to imply that... Someone someone killed the baby and tried to make it look like a dingo attack. That's that's all of what they're saying there, basically. I, I feel like you wouldn't have to go through that much effort though to like do like I, I don't think you'd need to fake it. You could if you're gonna go through that much effort to fake a dingo attack, you could probably literally just feed it to the dingoes as fucked as that is. Like there's a lot of effort. I hadn't I hadn't thought I hadn't thought about that, but I'm like who would go through trying to make indentations on clothing to try it make it look like an animal? Like, who would even think of that at the time? Mm. When you could just like it just give it to an actual wild animal and, you know. Evidence number two, blood evidence. Uh, no blood found inside the tent. I've heard different to that. I've heard that. I, like, I took witnesses. this information from the inquest. Yeah, I, I know that. I, I heard that people looked inside the tent and noticed there was a little bit of blood. Um, we'll go with what the inquest said. Is this from the first inquest? or This is from the second inquest documents. Weirdly, you can just find those things online. Um, so what they were saying, though, that is there was no blood found on the inside of the actual tent, but there was blood found on items inside the tent, if that makes mm. sense. Well, if a dog's going to bite her, it's probably not done that much initially, but yeah. Well, there... I mean, you're going you're gonna to mention it, but there was a spray of blood on the outside of the tent. Mm. So I think that's what they were referring to, that there wasn't the same inside. But again, what's the dog done? Is it like just reached in, grabbed it, pulled her out, and this is going past, it's sprayed, or who knows? Yeah, I don't know. 
Don't know. Uh, they have no answers the, for that. They'll say that there was no evidence to suggest that that blood on the side of the tent was human? Yeah, because no one tested it. Okay. Multiple <laughs> items, as you mentioned, inside the tent had blood on them, such as the baby blanket, a small quantity of Michael's sleeping bag, Reagan's parker, and the tent mattress, which was consistent with a report from the constable on the night of the incident. So, on the night, the constable, like, popped his head in mm. and went, oh, yeah, it's a bit blood. That was all of his report. There was nothing Top else. quality so- police work. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I I don't know what the procedures were like in 1980. Maybe they were very different to what they are now. They probably weren't as thorough, to, to be honest. But you would think that they would. He would at least know where it was. Um, there wasn't a huge quantity of blood at all in the tent. So the most the most blood they found was that spray on the outside. Yeah, but here's what I'm picturing: is the dingo's gone and picked up the baby, which means that it's either picked her up by like the jacket, or maybe it's just gone straight and picked her up by the throat, and Azari's died instantly. It's gone outside around the tent, gotten a better grip that causes the spray, and then it keeps going on. Like I don't yeah. think it's not like I mean, it's I gone think that's and possible. it's like shook and ravaged because the fucking the other kid was in the tent when the baby was taken. Yeah, he was asleep this entire time. Yeah. He did not wake yeah. up. The, the dingo's like, I'm not going to make a lot of noise here. I'm going to take my snack and I'm going to get the fuck out. Mm. Yeah, basically. Evidence three. Evidence in the car. Uh, we're going back to this fucking fetal blood in the car on the carpet. Yeah. In the front driver's seat. So in the like the well where all your fucking pedals are. On a yellow towel found near the rear spear. Oh, Jesus. This is going to get Kiwi shit. The rear spear wheel <laughs> on the passenger seat. And what was thought to be an arterial spear. But on the underside of the dashboard on the passenger side, along with the scissors that we mentioned earlier. Now, you believe the spurt was probably someone sneezing? Because they didn't say what it was. They just said it was like a spray pattern from human. Yeah, so we'll get into it a little bit later. But um, this whole fetal blood thing sort of turned out to possibly only be like any bodily fluid from a baby. Apparently at the time they couldn't tell the difference between it. So it could have been a sneeze. Cause of death. Due to the jumpsuit being done up to the top, they suggested it was impossible for a dingo to have done the amount of damage consistent with the blood found without damaging the jumpsuit. We'll get into that later as well as to how it was plausible, but yeah. Like, it, it, it's buttoned, but was it buttoned when the guy found it or did the policeman do that as he was picking it up? That I actually don't know the answer mm. to. Um, but either way, it actually is plausible that that could happen. And we're going to talk about that later, but... You've written here, what gets me in this section of the inquest document and you're going to quote it. So this is a quote. I accept Professor Cameron and Sims' evidence as cause of death, even though they have no specific evidence, sorry, specific experience with dingoes. Yeah, so these experts that they had flown in, so these guys were, uh, I think they were from the UK. Um, They had flown these guys in to give their expert evidence, and they had had no experience with dingoes. I do remember hearing a line in the podcast I listened to where it's like, I don't know how much a man from London knows about dingoes. Yeah, exactly. And like one of the things that was in the documentary I watched, um, Lindy actually said that they had put off the inquest because one of those guys, I can't remember which one, refused to travel here unless he could like go on holiday at the same time. <laughs> and he didn't want to go when it was cold. So they, they really valued these guys' opinion for some reason, but they had no experience in the thing they were I talking how about. Much they paid them to come down. Yeah, that'd be interesting to know. It sounds like the Northern Territory government's been like, hey. You come and lie in court for us, we'll, uh, we'll give you a little trip around the country. Ridiculous. Evidence number five. President. <laughs> President. <laughs> president Dingo. <laughs> presence. I don't think they'd make a very good president. <laughs> presence of dingoes in the area. Yeah, there were dingoes in the area. <laughs> 
Come on, I give a good quote from the inquest document. (laughs) Again, you've got another quote here for whether or not Dingo was actually involved in the death of Azaria. Quote, Whilst there is evidence as to the presence and the capacity of dingoes, there is a total lack of objective evidence to support the view that any dingo was actually involved in the incident that night. I just, I love that they actually admit that they were there and they could have, but there's no evidence, which is a total lie. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Uh, we've got the fur fibers. We have the track marks leading yeah. from the tent. Uh, track marks that indicate the dingo was carrying something. Uh, previous attacks by dingoes. The local yeah. ranger fearing that a baby would be taken or someone would be injured and like killed. Eh, no, is that not enough? I, I actually, I, I didn't include it in the notes just because they were getting lengthy, but in, I think it was like 2002, a nine-year-old boy got killed by dingoes in the same area. Mm. So even by I'm then they hadn't done anything about I've the, the issue. i story of a father and a son who were killed by dingoes on an island somewhere, like in, while I've been living in Australia. Mm. There's more than enough evidence to suggest that a dingo was actually there that night. There's more than enough evidence to suggest that he actually took the baby. And the whole, oh, it's never been reported before that a dingo's taken a baby or killed someone. I'm like, well, you've fucking only been here like 200 years. <laughs> um, and to be honest, if people had been killed in the past, they may it may not have been reported anyway. Yeah, they just been missing people. Or, yeah, like the yeah, news like, You never trouble. know. Like, that's the thing. Exactly. Because um, I, I think, you know, it, it, like, it is important to keep in mind that this area is not very, like, highly populated. Mm. Um, not many people live in the outback. And I do think that the actions of the NT government are pretty, like, similar to what the locals' attitude would have been. And that is to keep it in the Northern Territory. Like, they were very angry that it got out. What's to say that it hasn't happened before, but it just didn't get out? So, the theory that the Crown puts forward in that inquest that they say happened on the night is that Lindy, instead of taking Azaria back to the tent with Aiden when she went to supposedly get his baked beans, as we mentioned earlier, she's actually taken Azaria to the car, slit her throat with the scissors, I imagine is what they were assuming. Yeah. When she was dead, she's now hid Azaria's body in a camera bag, all in the space of 10 minutes, or less than. She then went back, buried the body in the desert later, I guess, where they found it, maybe? Well, they never find her body. But so. when, when when did she go back and bury the body? Because... Yeah, exactly. While the After searches that, were happening... After that, she is in the presence of other people the entire time. While the searches were happening, Lindy was there the whole time. She wasn't out searching. She was at the camp. But she wasn't the only one at the camp, exactly. either. It's not like she was just... She had time to go and just discreetly bury her body while everyone else was out searching for her child. I, get, I guess the thing for me is that... I, I, I mean, I do feel like the time frame that she apparently killed the baby is just totally unrealistic. But I think the most important thing to think about here is... Why would she do that? Like, why the fuck would she do that? It makes no sense. Why would she have killed her daughter just suddenly while making dinner? Mm. Because people witnessed her in the barbecue area. So she was definitely actually cooking dinner. So why in the middle of cooking dinner would she just like go off and decide to kill her baby? Makes no sense. Yeah. If you're going to fake your child's death and say a dingo took it, surely somewhere on the side, because they'd been traveling around the Northern Territory and stopping at all these different places Mm. to it on the side of the road. Well, there's no one else around. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, also, why did she want to kill her baby? That That's the part that gets me. She was very excited about having a little girl. Why would she then turn around and just randomly murder it for no reason? Because she was in a weird cult um, I- and they had... Said she had to do it. No, but realistically, why would she have done it? I mean, I guess you could argue maybe she had like postpartum depression, um, but there was no reports of of that. Um, Lindy's never said that she had it. She was fine with the other children and the children she had after this as well. So it it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. By February 1982, the inquest finds there is enough evidence somehow to have Lindy stand trial for the murder of her child. 
Uh, Michael is only considered to be an accessory. Yeah, he doesn't get charged with murder. He's just an accessory after the fact. Uh, they'd always assume Lindy was solely responsible for the death of her baby. So I think Michael, Lindy went to prison. People know that. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> Michael only got like, what, six? Did he even go to prison? He did not no. go to prison, no. Was he allowed to keep his sons? Yes, so I he guess was. it's not all, like, it's kind of, I guess, like, I mean, he, neither of them should have fucking gone to prison, but at least the kids no. still had their dad, I guess. I mean, I guess that's one way of looking at it. I think the thing for me at this point is that why are they only charging Lindy with murder? Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna charge murder for this, even though there's no real um, substantial evidence for it, why is it just Lindy? Why is Lindy like solely responsible? It it just does, it none of it makes any sense to me. They really did just want to pin it on her, and that was it. I feel they probably thought Lindy was the best option because of, and I think looking at your notes, we're about to go into it. How the public yeah. perceived her, it was the easy target. If they yeah. said she killed it, yeah, I think she was. I agree with it. People already suspected she killed her anyway. But this is the thing. There was like no, well, in what I could find, and I did read the second inquest document entirely, which was honestly a pain. Um, But I couldn't find any evidence that was mentioned in there that specifically targeted Lindy as the perpetrator. So that's why it doesn't make any sense to me. So it looks like we're getting into a bit of the media frenzy here. Is that correct in this next part? Yeah, um, just before we get to that part, though, I do want to point out that even though they had all this, like, you know, evidence or whatever they thought they had, they could still not come up with a motive as to why. Because isn't that the big thing in, like, murder trials is, like, motive is the big indicator of them. Like, that's one of the big things that they look at for murder cases. I guess, but uh, you got a dead body, you know. We don't have a body. We don't have a body or a motive. So, I really do, like, I feel in 2020 looking back that this is such a flimsy case. But they go ahead with it anyway. <laughs> the trial was heavily publicized in the media, and everyone was back to arguing as to whether or not Lindy is guilty. The media in general were very critical of Lindy, and although it's all been said in the past, it basically got worse for her while she was on trial for murder. From what I discovered, Lindy was very... She didn't react how people thought a mother would react, basically, after the death yeah. of a child. She was quite composed most of the time. She was on camera. They both, Lindy and Michael, you know, within, I think it was like 48 hours of Azaria going missing, were out there in front of the news crew saying, we fully believe our child is dead. You know, they they weren't holding out hope that their baby's going to be found alive. They're like, either the dingo has killed our baby or she's died out in the elements overnight in the past two nights out. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's a nine-week-old baby. Yeah. I don't know how long you think it's going to last on Especially its own like, anyway. It's the desert, it gets freezing cold. Apparently, Azaria had a little bit of like a cold at the time as well. Now, I, I do, I can see where people think that would be weird that like they've just given up they're like oh the baby's dead and then they do they left they went back home they didn't stay at Uluru within like three days they're like we're leaving but I I think that's more because they knew there was nothing that they could really do it it is interesting where I mean I'm not a religious person but faith is a very powerful thing and I think a lot of it especially because he was a pastor they you know they they've said that like they prayed a lot they believe that this was for whatever reason god had decided to take their child like that was all part of the plan you know and i think it's like these weird well i think it's weird but you know it's like these coping mechanisms that are there to help them and sort of get through that's why they were able to move on and just say well this horrible things happened to us we just want to go home whereas i think most people think that should be out there for like six months trying to find the body and never give up hope that she'll be found alive kind of thing, which a lot of other people would do in that situation. But I would look at those people and go, you're being foolish. 
Like, I fully agree. They're like, it's, like, it's hard as it is to admit. I think I, I really understand the mindset they come from when they're like, our child's probably dead. Yeah, I definitely do think that they took the attitude straight away of realism. They were just, you know, they were just very realistic about what the outcome mm. probably was and that there wasn't really a lot that they could do to change that. This isn't like a Daniel Morecambe case where, you know, like, which I, we haven't done on our podcast. No. Done on your other one, Devil's Margarita. But like, in that case, you know, like there is always, there was always like that little shred of hope that you could find him somewhere in some horrible basement. But this is a nine week old baby in the outback. If it, if it was, if, if the dingo for some reason did let her go and just leave her to the elements, she wouldn't have lasted anyway. Or something else would have I mean, it wouldn't have been long. Yeah. Take into account, dingo definitely got her. Like, that's where we're at. It's a nine week old baby. It's now injured. And we know that because of all the blood on the jumpsuit. And... If the dingo did leave her alive, it's she's now left in the elements. I doubt she would have lasted twenty four hours. And didn't you tell me that like people criticized her for like the clothing she was wearing in one of her interviews on TV when she's on holiday? Yeah, in the middle of the outback, and they're like, she's not an appropriate. No, no, clothing. no, no, no. You, 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 you got your cases crossed. That was um, Joanne Lee's that they said that about. When her husband, ah. when her boyfriend Peter Falconio went missing, but you you are you are correct that they did uh, criticize her heavily for what she wore. So basically, it was a lot of um, she looks too nice. Got to got to keep in mind here, Lindy's quite young at this point. Um, I think she's in her like mid, possibly to late twenties. Well, Lindy Chamberlain was born in March nineteen forty eight, so she's actually in her thirties. She's actually a bit yeah. older. Yeah. Okay. I will say she looked she's young. Thirty two at the time. Um, yeah, I was going to say, she did not look 32. She, the whole thing was that she was too nicely dressed. She was too well put together, you know, and that's not what people had in their mind as a picture of a grieving mother. And because she presented herself well, that was somehow automatic guilt in the eyes of the public. Whereas, you know, like, um, I'll, I'll mention the documentary at the end, um, but it only came out this year. And when I watched it, it has a lot of interviews with her. And she basically said that, like, you know, her father had taught her to you know pretty much just get on with shit like she was not the kind of person who would just break down constantly and not move forward and that's not to say that she wasn't upset about her daughter's death because she definitely was um there was like a part of the documentary where she says you know while i might have been okay in public that's not to say that i didn't break down in private and I think that that's just really more the type of person that she is. And I kind of relate to that because I feel like I'm kind of like that as well. Even when really bad things happen, I'll, you know, have a bit of a cry at the time. But then the next day I'm like, well, shit needs to get done. You can probably attest to that when my grand- grandfather mm. died. So I, I, I get that. Like, I get the thing that she's saying about that that's just her personality. I mean, also, she's fronting the media. So I'm sure she wasn't just going out in her tracky decks. Yeah. I- she's also in court. Do you know what I mean? Like, I also want to say, because I don't think you do mention it, that the public profile of this case was such the point where I think the oldest child was approached by a woman on his way to school while he was walking to school in the street, and she, like, demanded that the kid tell her the truth about what happened that night. Like, yeah. don't fucking go and approach children. Like, in the a, kids in are the not street. that old at like, this the point. The children were traumatized by it. I think one of them is like, there was a quote of him saying, he, he said to the other campers that a dingo took his baby sister and it was now in its, and she was now in his belly. I think that was the youngest one. Yeah. Like they understood to an extent what yeah. happened, but I mean, they were quite young. I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure that I did read somewhere that Aiden felt quite guilty. No, hang on, wait. Regan felt quite, which one was asleep in the tent? It was Regan, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have read that Regan felt quite guilty because he didn't wake mm. up. 
Yeah, and he will live with that the rest of his life, where he's like, what if I'd woken up that night? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was only like four yeah, or something, so I doubt he would have done anything, but or, or been able to do anything, really. Um, but, uh, you know, these kids are already traumatized. They've just lost their sister, and you've got... Well, I mean, they haven't just, but you, you know what I, you know what I mean. Like losing a sister is not something you just fucking forget mm. about in a you know a couple of weeks. And then you got people accosting them in the street, like driving past their house, disgusting. And their horns at them. Yeah, she did say that that she still quite often gets people honking out the front of her house. Still, still, it's yeah, been fucking forty years. Yeah, people have not forgotten. And I think because the trial was so publicized, like I feel like that was way more of a media spectacle than the first inquest where they mm. cleared them. That that this is this is what people have in their minds still like this attitude has still lingered and that's why i thought we should do this one because i think people should know that she didn't do it i'm just reading through your notes here where um you've got one here mentioning that as she walked into the trial there would be women lining up in t-shirts saying things such as the dingo is innocent and people would spit at her there's actual footage of that in the documentary I i highly recommend watching it um so they've got like yeah old footage of all these women and there are like i would say nearly 100 women lining up in all these t-shirts basically saying that she was guilty but they all tried to make it like kind of funny like yeah like the dingo is innocent don't blame the dingo like all that kind of stuff and they would spit at her as she walked past like I'm trying to get across here how fucking horrible people were to her. What? They believe she was a baby murderer, so... Yeah, but based on fucking what? Like, nothing. I don't know. This whole thing makes me so angry that, like, such a miscarriage of justice could be carried out based on really flimsy evidence just because people wanted to shift blame to her so that it, it could benefit people, basically. So on October 29th, I'm assuming 1982, is the year we're still in? Yes. Lynn Chamberlain is found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. At the time, Lindy is seven months pregnant. Yeah, we've, I, I forgot to mention that at the beginning, but when she's found guilty, yeah, she's seven months pregnant. She she was trying, she was, uh, sorry, that was where um I found out that the professor wanted to wait until you go on holiday because she was planning to keep her pregnancy a secret because she didn't want a big media blowout about it. Um, but because they delayed it, she couldn't hide it anymore. So she was heavily pregnant when she was found guilty. With her second daughter. With her second daughter, yeah. And she knew she was having a girl, but she wanted to tell anyone because she was so afraid of what people would say, which is so sad. That's something you should be excited about. On that day, Michael's also found guilty of being accessory, as we mentioned. He gets 18 months suspended sentence, but he doesn't spend any time in jail. Cut forward to... November 17th, Lindy gives birth to their second daughter, who they call Kalia. Kalia? Kalia. Kalia however you want to say it. Kalia. Because she gets called Kali. So. Ah, what does Kalia mean? Yeah, I didn't look that up, actually. <laughs> Kalia means gift. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, that's what the US says in Tennessee. So I think I'm reading this right. So she gives birth to her second child and she's allowed to go home at the time on bail. So, yeah, what happened was if she was in custody when she gave birth, um, but they did allow her to go home after, like, after she got out of hospital um, because the case was so being a appealed. baby. And I think there was, I think there was a little, like, uh, like a leeway of compassionate grounds there because she had just given birth. The case was being appealed, but I don't know if she would have been allowed to go home straight away. Mm. So they did give her something, I guess. You've written here, she was able to spend five months at home with her family and the newborn before she was returned to jail after the federal court rejected her appeal. That's what they did. They rejected it, so she had to go back. While Lindy's in prison, her son Reagan has a very serious accident that actually costs him his eye. This was in 1983, so only the year after she's first gone to prison. Yeah, he cut his eye in half. It sounded really gnarly. Yeah, and he's he's like seven He's, he's a child, like a small child still. And yeah, he had an accident where he literally cut his eye in half. It sounded, when they interviewed Reagan in the um, documentary, it sounded fucking gnarly, whatever happened. 
as we said, that's 1983, 70 years old. Lindy did apply for a temporary release to be able to go and, like, you know, be with her son who just had this horrible accident. They didn't give it to her for no reason. Yeah, they, they don't give a reason for it, but they just reject it. They eventually apply for a high court appeal. This is Lindy's final legal route to get out of prison and prove her innocence. In February of 1984, the appeal ended up in a split judgment of two to three, and the appeal was rejected. What does that mean? Okay, so basically in the high court, you have five judges. <laughs> And it is a majority. But I think that that should prove how split people were about how, uh, or, you know, how split people were about what had actually happened. They might be judges, but they're not immune to bias. <laughs> yeah, the fact that it's a split judgment really should reflect how people thought in general at the time. Chamberlain's, however, didn't give up at this point. Determined to prove Lindy's innocence and get her out of jail, they uh, went on to change.org and opened a petition. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely didn't do that. <laughs> they did decide to get a petition with over 130,000 signatures, which means, you know, they didn't have an issue finding people in the community who supported them that they were innocent. Because mm. I think a lot of it just focuses on, like, it just sounds like everyone's like, oh, she's guilty. No, it wasn't the case. I, I definitely feel like that's the way it was in yeah. the media. That the media really concentrated on all these people who thought she was guilty. Whereas I think there were people, especially like people who knew her, who were part of her community. The witnesses um, on the you day. Know, that went to her church. The witnesses, all of those people were definitely on her side. They're Especially the witnesses. Apparently they all stayed friends. So that was kind of nice. <laughs> uh, and they formed the Innocence Committee and submitted new evidence to the Northern Territory government so that an application for a new inquiry could be made. No action was taken. Yeah. So when they um, present the petition, so it's got a lot oh, of signatures. The Governor General. Um, yeah, they do. Um, asking for a judicial inquiry. I think the Governor General did accept the petition, but no action ends up getting taken mm. for it. Although, like, yeah, you, you did say that they formed an innocence committee to submit new evidence, um, but they, they 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 submitted that to the NT government, and of course they weren't going to fucking do anything with that, despite it being valid, because they were already against them. <laughs> so. so the next big break in the case occurs in February of 1986, and the matinee jacket is found. Dun, dun, dun. This is a huge break, because part, part of the trial was that she was lying about the jacket. And if, and if you remember, I said earlier that she insisted on the day that she was wearing that. She insisted that she, she was wearing it. And um, no one believed her after that because they couldn't find it. <laughs> the thing that gets me here is that they find the jacket on January 31st. But they don't do anything with it for days. Well, even when they found the evidence, they didn't tell the Chamberlain straight away. They found out through the news. <sighs> Which, ridiculous. Um, they do eventually take it to Lindy to identify so she doesn't see it until February 5th. That's not too long. That's not too long. But I just feel like that sort of thing, you think that they would have done something with it straight away. Especially because it was such a huge piece of evidence that they'd been waiting to find that they couldn't. So th the reason that they found the jacket, which I forgot to put in here, um, they're actually searching for a missing tourist. And they just they came across the it. I don't know. I'm so sorry. I didn't look that up. Like I said, because they had tried to discredit her about this jacket and that it was a lie, that it even existed. Now that they've found it, this is giving Lindy's case huge credibility because she has now proved them wrong. So she formally identifies the jacket and the filming of the jacket, her seeing the jacket, this also causes a media frenzy. So Lindy's in her prison jumpsuit, because I've seen the footage, and she has her arms crossed across her chest, and she's kind of like leaning over and looking at the jacket, but she has no emotion whatsoever on her face. And um, people said that she was guilty because she didn't try and touch it. She had no emotion. 
people were like, oh, surely like a grieving mother would have immediately reached out to the jacket. And Lindy's like, no, they told me before I walked in that I was not allowed to touch it. So that's why I had my arms crossed so that I wouldn't be tempted to. You haven't mentioned it. I think you said they interviewed one of the cameramen or people who was there during an interview and they said they used the seven yeah. take. So like she was well and truly cried out by that point. Yeah. Like she didn't break down. <laughs> Yeah, like the media definitely manipulated how people seen her. And yeah, there was a, a journalist in the documentary, I'm pretty sure he was a journalist anyway, who said that at one point they used the seventh take because she cried in the first six. So there was a definite like manipulation of how the media portrayed her and ultimately how the public perceive her. She she did say um, in the documentary that before she went in to see the jacket, she had pretty much told herself to just look at the jacket and do nothing else. I think by that point, she was like, she couldn't win. If she broke down, she was acting. If she showed no emotion, she was guilty. She just did what she thought was right, and and that was it. I just want to do a quick little scan through your notes and jumped ahead. Sorry to cut you off there. But you haven't mentioned how a lot of people didn't believe like a dingo could get the baby out of the jumpsuit, which we sort of did briefly mention. Oh, fuck yeah. I did leave that out. I'm so So sorry. What they actually did do is several zoos around the country performed experiments with dingoes. Um, One, they dressed up goat carcasses and nappies and jumpsuits like what you'd find on a baby and gave them to the dingoes and it produced some results they were able to get the nappy out without causing much damage to it as i mentioned dingoes have very human-like wrists they're quite good with their hands and you know they were observed to be able to remove the meat from the jacket without doing too much damage for it and even like unbutton it in one case like they're quite good at using their paws i am um, i even seen at one point a video of like an a an actual dingo expert who was saying that he had seen dingoes be able to take the wrapper off a cheeseburger yeah. without I think damaging it. Another one said they eat by like peeling the skin back or something. Yeah, I've heard that too, which is... <laughs> That's no different to us taking um, like, the lid off a pie. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. I actually did leave that out of my notes. I don't know why. I think there was just so many which that is, I Which is why I mentioned like, the, the wrist thing earlier on. I'm like, That's why I said good with your hands. It will make sense. We get there. I'm like, hang on a minute. You forgot to mention that the dingo tried yeah, experiments. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Right. Even though they failed to include that in their so-called evidence in the um, second inquest, uh, there, there was a lot of evidence um, that dingoes could have been able to get the baby out of the clothes without even unbuttoning mm. it. So... I have to admit, I don't know. Do dingoes eat everything? I should. I swear I read something where like, yeah, they'd eat the bones or something, which would account for why there was no body ever found. Especially like small bones like that of a child. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Um, I would imagine that it wouldn't be hard for them to or get through like, baby bones. That's so horrible. Yeah, like, maybe not even all the bones, but you know, I'm sure they, sorry for this, you know, they probably did go and try to get the brain out and all the internal organs, you know, the dingoes were probably quite thorough, I'd imagine, with what they ate. I mean, I guess the other side is because she was dragged away um, and her clothes were found not too far from a dingo den, was it more than one mm. that ended up eating her? And that's only where, like, the dingo... Oh, God, that's so horrible to think about. <laughs> ...got the baby out. They could have taken it elsewhere after that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's no evidence to indicate that like, the only evidence they had there was the clothing, which implies to me either that they the heavy rains washed away the evidence of her being killed, but they would have found bone fragments, I thought, if they searched the air mm. properly, which sounds like they probably didn't anyway. So, to me, I kind of feel like maybe the dingo stopped there, undressed, or gotten the baby out of the jumpsuit, and then taken it and moved on to somewhere else. It's possible. I mean, I, that's kind of the thing. Like, anything is possible for what the dingo could have done. 
anticipate as awful as it is to think about that there's no body because they yeah. ate it is the bottom line so back to to when she um positively identifies the matinee jacket as belonging to azaria in response to that a reporter named frank alcorda wrote an article for a local paper at the request of senator bob collins so i think uh bob collins must have been a, a lindy sympathizer or at least new evidence mm. when he's seen it <laughs> um so he requested him to write the report on the discovery of the matinee jacket because at this point even though i said there was media frenzy that happened after this um at that point it had been kept from the public they didn't really want people to know about it um and threatened to print it if lindy wasn't released from jail or another inquiry was called and surprise surprise i did both um so it was after that that the media frenzy started but i i think the thing for me is that the nt government did so much to try and keep things um, it, it didn't work ultimately, but they tried. Like, they really did try to keep these things under wraps so that no one else would know about them. It's just kind of fucked. Lindy was released from jail on February 8th, 1986, after having spent four years there for a crime that she did not commit. I will mention they do get a payout for her time in jail, but I doubt, I doubt that money really replaces four years of your mm. life. A royal commission is requested to look into Lindy's case, and ultimately in June 1987, Justice Trevor Morling finds that the Chamberlains were not responsible for the death of their daughter. What what a fucking shock, honestly. (laughs) He finds that the evidence supports that Azaria was taken by a dingo. No. Yeah, which is exactly what was determined in... Like the Are beginning. you telling me that the fur fibers and the little bit of blood splatter and the big track marks that were made by a dingo and were confirmed by an indigenous tracker to be a dingo carrying a load and the fact that people saw a dingo and that there were dingoes in the area that had previously attacked other children because the dingoes weren't afraid of people were involved in a horrific dingo attack on a baby? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in the Royal Commission, they evaluated the evidence again. And what they found is that a lot of evidence was just conveniently left out of the trial in the second inquest. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that convenient? So a lot of the stuff that had been left out was witness testimonies. That's true, they didn't. So apparently, um, like, the, like the Wests in particular were not allowed at the trial. What? Yeah. You're a key witness in this case. Stay away. Yeah, like literally. Um, so a lot of like, yeah, key witness testimonies were not allowed. Um, and yeah, the West was particularly important since their daughter was attacked literally the mm, night before. Probably by the same um, dingo. But that was probably, that was all left out. The indigenous trackers were not allowed to give evidence. So that was left out like as well. law that. Well, I mean, I think we should keep in mind. I was, was going to say some things then, but different. I don't want people to be able to like screen cap that and make it sound like I'm a racist. So I was going to make an impersonation of like some Northern Territory people. We're yeah, not let's not do there. that. Um, just because it's offensive anyway. But also, yeah, I think I think it is important to keep in mind the time attitudes were a bit different towards Indigenous people. I mean, they're not great still. The fact that they called them in though, and then just left it out, like just fucking ridiculous. So there was also a lot of debate over the experts that had given evidence in the trial as to whether they were actually experts or not, which I think we covered that the professors definitely weren't. The dingo expert of London. (laughs) I've studied all the dingoes in London, and I can tell you there are no dingoes in London. (laughs) I'm London's top dingo specialist. Um, So the one that they uh, criticised the most in the Royal Commission was the woman who was apparently an expert in fetal blood. Apparently, it turned out she wasn't an expert in that at all, and it was really beyond what she knew. She's actually an expert in fecal pap, which is like the little uh, secretment that koalas shit out and feed to their babies. 
No, like I think she person. was like a blood expert, but I think like not fetal blood. Fetal blood was not within her mm. realm of expertise. This is where we're going to, I guess, prove that the evidence was wrong, that they claimed was the thing that sent Lindy to jail. The fetal blood found in the car and on the scissors, those were not tested for over a year after the incident. So apparently the hemoglobin would have already undergone a process called denaturing. Denaturing? No, denaturing. And there would have been changes in its properties, meaning once it was tested, it wouldn't have been conclusive. So you could then say that if there were any, like if there was blood on it, it would be inconsequential. Like it wouldn't really mean anything because they've tested it too late. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've also read theories that they found that it could have been any bodily fluid from an infant. So she could have fucking sneezed. She did sneeze. Drooled. <laughs> Drool. If, if um, you said that she had a cold, could have been like snot. Mm. <laughs> um, so it literally could have been anything. But one thing that we did mention before was the arterial spray that they found on the dashboard. This actually turned out to be a sound deadener that was accidentally sprayed there when the car was being manufactured. But the, the woman, the expert, said that it was fetal blood in the trial. I don't know how much they paid her. Yeah, I have to wonder because it's all very convenient, isn't it? Like, did, anyway. did the Northern Territory government spend more money than they lost on? Tourism? Oh, I'm I'm getting to that. I'm I'm getting to the NT's government uh, reaction <laughs> to the Royal Commission. So after the Royal Commission is completed, the NT government has the audacity to offer the Chamberlains a pardon. You might hear that and go, "Oh, that's a good thing." It's not. Um, in Australia, a pardon still implies they're guilty. So it's usually offered as a mercy, not through an admission of, you know, them not being guilty. And that's all they offer them at that point. Like, seriously, the audacity. You have like an entire royal commission that goes through and, you know, breaks down how all of the evidence that you've provided is wrong. And all you can say is, oh, we'll give them a pardon. I guess they're all... Oh, it makes me so angry. See you in the NT campaign, which is a joke on the word cunts, uh, really does apply here. I mean, that is a clever cam- like advertising campaign. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> and look, I'm not saying that, like, the other thing is, I'm not saying I hate the Northern Territory or anything or the government. Oh, I mean, the government that was in charge then is not in charge now, so. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it doesn't, doesn't reflect on the Northern Territory now at all. But I will say that I think it's fairly obvious at this point that they did some really dodgy mm. shit to get the outcome they wanted. I think clearly. a lot of governments do that anyway, though, so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's also a fair statement. Um, so later that year, Parliament actually forces through a new act to allow the Chamberlains to return to court to clear their names formally. Because even though the Royal Commission proves that they're not guilty, they've only got a pardon, they're still still legally guilty. So that happens the following year, and the Supreme Court of Darwin reverses all convictions and declares the Chamberlains innocent. So I'm I'm very happy for them that they that they actually get closure on this and it's not just left open like that i mean i think that if i were them and i'd only got offered a pardon i would have been fucking pissed because <laughs> yeah that doesn't legally reverse anything mm. so that means if you look them up it would still say that they were guilty of murder so we, 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 we're getting we're, we're getting the towards the end now page of notes <laughs> we are we are <laughs> unfortunately by 1991 lindy and michael get a divorce and lindy decides to fuck off to america for a while and look i don't blame her I really don't blame her at all because, I mean, like she says, even now she still gets called out in people apparently like whistle at her in the street, honk at her house and stuff. And that's now in 2020. So in 1991, I do not blame her for wanting to get away from all of that. I don't blame her for wanting to go to a place where she probably wasn't recognized in the street. Surely that when people heard Um, her name, they'd be like, huh. (laughs) Oh, probably. But like, 
the thing is she was on the news so much in Australia. Like everyone knew who she was. She couldn't walk down the street without being accosted by people. And I'm sure it wasn't as bad as that in America. So this is where she meets her second husband, Rick, and they get married in December 1992. (laughs) It'd be funny if that were the case. (laughs) Uh, So they get married in December 1992, which I know... Sounds kind of quick, but her and Michael had actually been separated for a couple of years before they were divorced. She doesn't ever actually say the reason why they get divorced. She keeps that to herself. It's, but I could imagine how much pressure was yeah, on them. You know, they probably, and like the four years in prison, you know, they probably just fell apart. The stress they went through. Yeah. I mean, maybe they had issues before as well. Like, we don't know. Like, that's never covered in any of this. I mean, and it shouldn't because yeah. that's her personal Could life. Could be a case of like, that's her business. like, you know, being together remind them too much of what had happened. So they thought it would be best to. Yeah. I mean, there. I think there are a lot of plausible reasons for why they would yeah. have gotten divorced. Um, so Kalia and Regan decide to move to America with their mother while Aiden remains with his father in Australia. I, I don't think I mentioned this, but Kalia actually ends up being in foster care for the time that Lindy's in jail. So she's probably really happy to be, you know, reunited with her mother. And I mean, I know that I would have jumped at the chance to move to America as a kid. So <laughs> uh, a third inquest starts. There's four, but these are really brief. Um, a third inquest starts in 1995 um, at this point because there's no formal cause of death for Azaria now because the former one was that she's murdered and that's been reversed. But it still says on her death certificate that she was murdered. So they have to do this third inquest to formally clear the family of any wrongdoing. But the result of that one is actually pretty disappointing because it ends up leaving Azaria's cause of death as open, as in they don't know. When we do know, so that's... Kind of really shit for them. In 1998, Lindy, her husband Rick, and the two kids moved back to Australia. I, I, I included this because I thought it was funny. An opera gets released called Lindy. That's about her life story. An opera. It's kind of cool. Um, so she also works on a biography uh, called Through My Eyes, which I actually started reading just out of curiosity as I was researching all this. But it's not really like um, fact-based. It's more like a commentary on how she was treated, which honestly, in my opinion, was completely unfair. Mm. And I mean, she goes. She she talks about that. Um, I, I I cannot imagine. She must be a very strong lady because I cannot imagine going through all of that, the loss of a daughter, then people blaming you for her death, being in jail. It's just so much, and she didn't deserve it. I can't. Yeah, I can't imagine what it was like for yeah. her. It. Part of me thinks I look at her. Well, these people thought she'd murdered a baby, and I can sort of understand why they would be so upset. But also at the same time, she was found innocent in the first inquiry. They all were like, mm. and like I, I didn't mention this. Um, I was going to get quotes from these, but then I decided not to because I didn't want to harp too much on about how people thought that she was a shit human being, basically. But she used to get letters to her house where people would write to her just to tell her how much of a shit person they oh, thought so she, she was. Knows what it's like to be a video game journalist on the internet. <laughs> yeah except instead of you know video games it's her daughter dying um and and yeah and like they showed it in the documentary so if you do watch it it shows that it quotes all of them like and there are so many letters that people wrote to her just to tell her how guilty they sh- thought she was who the fuck does that i'm sorry but i've never like you might have an opinion about something or someone but i've never thought i'm gonna sit down and write a letter to tell them exactly how i feel about it what, what are you hoping to achieve i've never with never thought well? i was gonna do like this will be a, this will be the letter exactly. that makes her come out and say she was guilty the whole time and somehow i'll be credited for it 
yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre. I don't, I don't get people. We're almost at the end now. I know this has been a lot, but we're at the fourth inquest, which starts in 2012. That's how long this goes on for. And it works out a lot more in, in favor of the Chamberlain family. So coroner Elizabeth Morris finds that Azaria's cause of death was that she was taken by a dingo. This allows the family to be able to finally change the cause of death on Azaria's death certificate. So they actually do finally get the closure that they needed. I'm not going to say wanted because I think they needed this. Can you imagine being proven in a court of law that you're innocent but still have a death certificate for your daughter that says that she was murdered and so therefore the implication is murdered by you? Unfortunately, Michael has since passed. Um, he, he passed away in 2017 due to complications with acute leukemia, but he is survived by his children with Lindy. He also remarried and they had a daughter together, Zara. 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 Yeah, I got that right. Um, I only mentioned that because obviously if you Google him, you'll see that he's dead. But also, I'm just kind of glad that he was able to get all of this closure before yeah. that happened. Because um, I can't imagine what it would be like, f- not only for him, but for also his family, if he had passed away before. Like, I just think that would be so sad. So I, I am, like, as weird as that is to say, I'm really glad that he was able to get, like, final closure on the whole situation before his life ended. So I'm up to the final paragraph. <laughs> I feel like I've been talking forever. <laughs> it's definitely our longest so, recording. It definitely our longest recording. I'm so sorry for your editing. <laughs> There's been a documentary released recently on it. Uh, you can watch it if you're in Australia on 10 Play or if you're a little VPN, maybe. Just tune into Australia and have a look at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's just called Limby Chamberlain. Lin- Limby. Lindy. <laughs> you're doing it too now. It's called Lindy Chamberlain, The True Story. She highly recommends it. If you're interested, I've got the link. I haven't actually sat down to watch it yet. I haven't had a chance. Yeah, like, honestly, watch it. It's, it's It doesn't, like, go through, like, fact by fact like we kind of have. Um, I, I had a lot of trouble figuring out how to present this entire story. But what they more concentrate on is the family and the witnesses' experience. Um, so it's a lot of interviews with Lindy, with her sons, her daughter, um, uh, the West. C- Catherine West is in it a lot i didn't mention this this is the thing for time's sake i left out a lot of stuff but Catherine west even says in the documentary that when she was interviewed by the police later they opened it up with so you lied right what so they were trying to get her to admit that she lied about being attacked by a dingo the night before (laughs) there's there's so much in the documentary honestly i highly recommend it the interviews are so good and they include a lot of like old footage as well which gives you sort of a more of an appreciation of what was actually happening yeah i found it very useful to get their perspective when i was researching this but i left a lot of it out because there's just too much so yeah definitely go watch it but i think that brings us to the end (laughs) we did it we got got through it all honestly i think this case nearly broke me honestly (laughs) researching this was just like i knew the basic story like i knew that she was found innocent at first and then found guilty later that she went to jail that it was then proven that she wasn't guilty but i didn't know all of the details and i i dare i don't want to think about how many days i actually spent on this Mm. trying to get all of the information into something that was at least a little bit consumable i don't know how well i did on that but i I really did try (laughs) Nothing can take a good job. Oh, thank you. And we'll find out what happens when our viewers get back to us. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to hear your feedback on this. Whether, like, I want to know what your opinion was before you heard this. I'm definitely curious about yeah. that. And if you'd like to let us know that opinion. Well, I was going to say, let's have a little bit of celebrating of our year. Uh, we, we, we got through a year doing this podcast. How do you feel? Tired. <laughs> 
I, I, I don't mean about, like, how do you feel in general? I mean, how do you feel about the podcast? Tired. <laughs> I'm dreading the editing I've got to do on this. Hopefully it won't be too bad because it just long stretches of one of us talking. But um, Don't think about that. Like, it's an accomplishment to get to yeah, a yeah. year. What, what is it? Most, most fail is episode yeah. seven. Well, we most people stop there. So, and we've got 52. I, I think that we should uh, definitely celebrate that as an accomplishment. Oh, we're finding worldwide. We hit worldwide another now, milestone baby. recently for our viewer numbers. It's going up. Thank you all so much for everyone who does listen weekly, uh, especially people in countries where we don't know anyone who come back. There's a few where we're like, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. We've got regular listeners here and here and here, but no idea how you found us. Thank you for coming. Yeah, we're not going to shout those places individually. We don't want to, like, yeah. call you out. Um, but honestly, yeah, just, you know, I started this with no anticipation that people would listen. That's not the right word. Anticipation is not the right word. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I, we started, well, I started, when we started this podcast, I had no expectations about people listening. I didn't really think they would. I mean, we're just two people, two average people where nobody's... Like, why would people listen to us talk, basically? And I'm just really grateful that people do. It's just, it's, it's such a cool experience. And yeah, thank you so much um, for the past year. It's, you know, it, it, it might be a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun at the same time. And I just, I, I really appreciate it. You, you, CD, you can't <laughs> nod. People can't see that. <laughs> but you know what they can see me nod? Is he was just sitting there nodding away. This Saturday, about 11 a.m., Victorian time, we'll be doing our live podcast special thing of yeah, foreign stories. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I research this um, week I'll to find stories because I've forgotten. Uh, should be pretty easy. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, but, yeah, so from 11 a.m. Yeah, 11. Eastern Daylight Savings Time in Australia. I'll list both Twitch accounts. We'll probably stream it on both. Um, so if you want to give that a follow so you can get a notification when we go live. I'll be drinking the pube. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, really looking forward to that. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So if you want to join us, that'd be cool. Uh, you know, just, even if it's just to drop in and say hi, that, that'd still be cool. If you do miss the pod, the uh, live stream, though, we're going to try and we're going to record the audio at least. Yeah, we, we're going to try and get some audio so out of it. Use that for next week's episode. Yeah, I I guess next week won't be uh like up to date live episode as it was because we record episodes like we record them and get them out pretty quickly, but you'll get the live episode anyway. So if you if you can't make it, that'll still be there for you. But yeah, and then the week after that, I don't know. I've been debating whether we should take a week off and have like a actual Christmas New Year holiday, but I haven't really decided yet. I'm for it, but you're for it. Look, I'll I'll confirm. At the beginning of next episode, okay. if that's the case. But yeah, thank you so much for listening yet again. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can contact us via email at fmedeadpodcast at gmail.com, through Twitter at fuckmedeadpod, on Instagram at fmedeadpod, and you can find us on our website at fuckmedeadpodcast.com, which is a list of ways you can listen to the episode, including on the website directly. Because we didn't say it at the start of the episode, I am CJ, you're Amanda. Oh, fuck, we didn't say that. No, we didn't. But I was like, whatever, it's a year special. People should know who we are by now to listen to the year special. I feel really weird about not not saying who we are. Oh, yeah. I'm Amanda as well. Yeah, I said that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I... You've got to start work. I do have to start work. I'm seven minutes late at this point. Okay. Well, I guess that's it. If you've made it to this point, you're an amazing person. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and as always, 
Goodbye. Goodbye.